Well, last week we saw the apostles waiting for the promise. They'd been told to go into Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit to come. They obeyed, but really didn't know what to expect. And so for 10 long days, they, they prayed. They studied God's word and they did what they thought they should be doing while they were waiting. And as we noted, they did what we should be doing as we wait for the promised return of Christ. Well, eventually their waiting was over and the promise came. It was one of the most exciting moments in history because the Spirit of God was poured out on the people of God. Let's see what happened and and why it happened. The first thing we note about the promise is that it came from heaven. We're in the second chapter of Acts. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The promise, we're told, came from heaven on the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was one of three major festivals when every Jew wanted to be in the holy city. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles were the big three. Passover was when they celebrated the death angels passing over the homes of the Israelites that had been marked with the blood of the Lamb while in Egypt. Tabernacles was celebrated at the end of harvest in the fall when the people and their families would all stay in little tabernacles or or tents to remind them of the time spent camping out in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And Pentecost came between the other two festivals and was celebrated on the 50th day after Passover, thus the name Pentecost, which means 50th. The 50th day was also the day after the seventh Sabbath following the Passover, so it was also known as the Feast of Weeks, a week of weeks after Passover. And since it corresponded to the end of the wheat harvest and was celebrated by bringing into the temple two loaves of bread, symbolizing the first fruits of the harvest, it was also known as the Harvest Festival and Festival of First Fruits. By Jesus' day, it had also become a day to celebrate the giving of the law on Sinai. So this was a really big day. This was the Super Bowl of Jewish festivals. And more pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost than any other holiday, partially because of its significance and partially because it fell during a good time of the year for travel. Well, it's now Pentecost. 
And Luke records that they were all together in one place. Now, by they, he's most likely referring to the apostles. He may have been referring to the 120 mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 15, but the closest antecedent is the apostles mentioned in the previous verse. And it was to the apostles that Jesus made the promise. So I think that's who he's referring to when he says they. And then he says they were together in one place. Now, he doesn't really identify that place. Now, as previously mentioned, they had gathered together and they were staying in an upper room. But he also notes in his gospel that they were continually in the temple during those 10 days following the ascension. Since it was a feast day, and as we'll soon see, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, the time for morning prayer, it's most likely that the apostles have gathered in the temple, probably in a room off the temple courtyard or maybe out in front of the temple on the steps where pilgrims often, often gathered. Well, all of a sudden, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Not a wind per se. The wind didn't just start blowing. There was the sound of a rushing wind, perhaps like the sound that precedes a tornado. We've heard people talk of that, how it, it sounds like a freight train coming down the tracks. It was a noise that filled the whole house. Now, when we read the house, we think, oh, well, it was in a house. Well, the word, there are several words can be used for house. The one used here was also used of, guess what? The temple, like the house of God. So it's likely but this is referring to the temple, all right? And it makes a lot of sense when we, when we discover that at the sound of the noise, multitudes of people gathered. A lot of people heard it. So the sound filled the house, and the house, the room, the place, the temple, was apparently filled with, with supernatural fire as well. Fire that then divided itself into individual flames or tongues of fire and rested on the heads of the apostles. Now, what is going on here? The apostles are in the temple on Pentecost. Multitudes are in the city. A sound like a freight train goes roaring through the temple. Flames of fire start appearing all over the place, coming down from heaven, and then they go and land on the heads of the apostles. What's going on? What's the significance of this sound of wind and fire? Well, in the Old Testament, both were signs of God's presence. You know, God spoke to Job out of what? A whirlwind. And he spoke to Moses from what kind of a bush? A burning bush. The Shekinah presence of God was seen as a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Well, apparently, the sound of a rushing wind and the appearance of fire was God's way of making His presence known in the room. And then by resting on the heads of the apostles, the fire indicated that God was doing something special. He was actually going to inhabit the apostles. They were being filled 
with His Holy Spirit. They were receiving the promise that would empower them to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost, remotest part of the earth. They were being given the ability as well to demonstrate that the message they were about to share was for all people. And to do that, the Spirit enabled them to speak in languages they had never studied and languages they certainly would not be able to speak on their own power. It was a miraculous confirmation that what the apostles were saying was from God and that what they were saying was a message of vital importance for all men from every nation under heaven. Let's read on. Now they were living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together And were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and and marveled, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. They continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. Luke notes that Jews living or staying in Jerusalem had come from every nation under heaven. And you may recall that that Jews had been taken captive because of their disobedience hundreds of years earlier and had been dispersed throughout the world. Generations of Jews had grown up in foreign lands and cultures, but still every devout Jew wanted to make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem at least once in his life. And so Jerusalem was overrun on feast days. Historians tell us that as many as three million crowded into the city on such occasions, and the temple was therefore filled to overflowing. Sacrifices were being made, Animals were bellowing, business was being transacted, prayers were being offered. But over the noise of the temple, a strange sound caught everyone's attention. The sound of a violent rushing wind. It sounded again like a tornado. Maybe it was in a a side chamber or on the front porch. And so they came from all over the 35-acre temple complex and no doubt from outside the temple to see what was going on. They got there. They were bewildered. Each one was hearing the apostles speak in his own language. Now, Whether it was a miracle of hearing 
as some have suggested, or a miracle of speaking, we can't be sure. And if it was a miracle of speaking, as I think it most likely was, we don't know if all the apostles were preaching or if Peter was preaching and the others were merely translating. But however it was done, it was apparent to the pilgrims that something amazing was taking place. Simple, uneducated Galileans were apparently speaking in languages they certainly could not have known on their own. The people were bewildered by the apostles' supernatural ability. And just to make sure we realize the magnitude of the miracle, Luke actually lists some of the places the pilgrims had come from, indicating that at least nine or ten different languages or dialects were being spoken. Everyone was hearing of the mighty deeds of God in their own language. What deeds? We're not told. Most likely, it was the mighty deeds of God recorded in the Old Testament, deeds with which the Jews would readily identify. Peter would take them from there in a moment. But for now, the apostles were simply focusing everyone's attention on the activity of God, and it was working. Luke almost runs out of words to describe their bewilderment. In addition to bewildered, he says they were amazed, they marveled, they continued in amazement and great perplexity. They couldn't figure out what was going on, but they knew it was significant. Most wondered as to the meaning of the miracle. And some were actually asking, what does it mean? Of course, there were some who refused to take it seriously, who who mocked the apostles and said they were drunk. Obviously, they weren't listening. They just heard confusion and dismissed it offhandedly. They assumed the apostles were filled with spirits and gave no thought to the spirit. They never considered that what they were witnessing was from God. That a gift had been given to confirm a message that was about to be declared. A message from heaven that was intended for all. That the Spirit had been poured out so all men everywhere could call upon the Lord and be saved. Let's read on. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. 
The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In response to the question, what does this mean? Peter took center stage, if he hadn't already had it. And he began to explain what was happening. Now, whether the others continued to translate what he was saying, if that's what they had been doing, or he simply now spoke in Aramaic or Greek, which all could understand, we're not told. But most likely, Peter alone spoke at this time. Why Peter? Perhaps it was just his nature to take over. Or it may be related to the fact that Jesus had earlier said that he was giving to Peter the keys to the kingdom of God. Now, one commentator remarked that keys are used to open a door. And that is what Peter was doing. He had been given the keys to open the door to God's plan of salvation. So he took his stand with the 11. Luke doesn't say the 12 as we would have expected if Matthias had actually become the twelfth apostle, and then declared, Give heed to my words. And then he answered first those who had mocked what was going on, suggesting the apostles were full of new wine. He simply noted that it was nine in the morning and that no one would be drunk that early. They didn't even eat before noon on feast days. No, what they were witnessing had been predicted by the prophet Joel. He had declared that in the last days, God would pour out His Spirit, and that's what had happened. God's Spirit had been poured out for all mankind. And as a result of it, sons and daughters would prophesy, Young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams. God's Spirit would now be available to all God's servants, men and women alike. All would be able to prophesy, to declare, to proclaim the truth of God. Now, all of this did not happen on Pentecost itself. The events of Pentecost just initiated the activity that was to take place during the last days. And as we've noted before, the last days began with Jesus' ascension and will end when Christ returns. That explains why Joel's prophecy included blood and fire and smoke and the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood. These are images from the second coming. But Joel telescoped all the significant events of the last days into one picture. All these things were going to take place during the last days. And make no mistake, we are now living in the last days. The primary significance of that is that it is in these last days that God's Spirit is available 
to all who desire him. It's during this time that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's in the last days that those who respond to the gospel of Christ and allow themselves to be cleansed of their sins will be inhabited by the Spirit of God. During these last days, God's offer of salvation is available to everyone. And the Spirit came to make that possible and to make that message known. The Spirit came to enable the apostles to declare the mighty deeds of God and to establish the church that would keep the message of God's greatest deeds of all alive until the Lord returns. The Spirit came to do even more than that. The Spirit also came to deal directly with each one of us. For as Jesus said in John 16, the Spirit would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. The Spirit would come to open up hearts to the Savior. Obviously, the most important question we can ask today is, has that happened to you? You know, as amazing as the events of Pentecost were, they are of no value to you unless you have allowed that spirit who came to work in your life, to convict you of your sin, to convict you of what you must do to be accounted as righteous before God and to prepare you for judgment. To open your heart to the only one who can save you, the one who died for you, and the one who sent his spirit to indwell you and empower you so you can live a life that is pleasing to your heavenly Father. If you've not done so, today can be your Pentecost. Let Jesus come into your heart.